Yeah, am I about to like have a revelation that I want recorded? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Welcome to History of the Sports Bra. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of History of the Sports Bra. I'm one of your hosts, Sophie Segretti. And I'm Julia Hostetter. This is a special Black History Month episode where we're going to celebrate Black female athletes who have made huge strides in their various sports and do not receive nearly enough recognition. No. I think there are a lot of women on this list who I didn't even know their contributions to their various sports. Unfortunately, a lot of them are not getting the props they deserve or the recognition that their male or white counterparts do. So we want to take this time to celebrate their accomplishments and all of the bomb ass things that they've done. Yeah. And also, I just think it's important to say that this is not an all-encompassing list. These Mm -hmm. are just a few kind of come to the forefront of our minds, but there are so many Black female athletes that do not get their Mm -hmm. credit. And it's because of what's portrayed in the media a lot of times, you know, it Mm -hmm. images everything and and what people dedicate their time to, and us included. I think that's something that both Sophie and I would admit that we can do better Mm-hmm. moving forward is uh, mm-hmm. making sure that our sources and where we're getting all of our information isn't whitewashed or anything of that nature. Exactly. So kicking us off, Althea Gibson, we talked about her in the tennis episode and the golf episode because mm-hmm. she is a dual sport professional athlete. Incredible. Althea picked up tennis as a teenager in Harlem, and a year after she started, she won the American Tennis Association's local tournament. For 10 straight years, she won the ATA's championship, which was and still is unheard of. Nobody has done that. It's a record, yep. So it took a while for Althea to play at the world championship level because of racism and the fact that the sport was segregated at that time. After former tennis player Alice Marble wrote an op-ed arguing for Gibson to play, she was invited to the U.S. National Championship. Marble wrote, if Althea Gibson represents a challenge to the present crop of players, then it's only fair that they meet this challenge on the courts. So in 1951, Althea became the first Black tennis player to get invited to Wimbledon. That's the first Black tennis player, not the first female Black tennis player, but just the first Black tennis player. And then in 1956, she became the first Black tennis player to ever win a Grand Slam at the French Open. She was probably also the first Black player ever to play at Wimbledon. Like, ever. I'm sure that none of the members, quote-unquote, were Black at the time either. So that's just... Mm -hmm. It's incre- I mean, the grace at which she handled that was probably just unmatched and something that we might never see again to that extent. And so unless you're a longtime tennis fan, or even if you are a longtime tennis yeah, fan. Yeah, I would agree with that because this Althea, I feel like, honestly, didn't really, really even get to know her until like last year. And yeah. that's just, that's straight up. That's horrible. History has done Althea dirty. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. She, according to the International Tennis Hall of Fame opened the doors for Black athletes everywhere. And she didn't just compete. Her victories are legendary. She went on to win singles titles at the U.S. Open and Wimbledon in 1957 and 1958. And the Associated Press named her Female Athlete of the Year those same two years in a row. 
And we mentioned this on our tennis episode, but she, I think, was the only player to ever receive the Wimbledon trophy from the The mother effing queen. From the mother effing queen. There are pictures of Queen Elizabeth giving Althea Gibson the Wimbledon trophy, and it is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And so in 2016, Serena Williams recognized Althea's accomplishments, tweeting, Althea Gibson paved the way for all women of color in sport. And even though Althea is most famous for her tennis skills, that wasn't the only sport she played. She became a professional golfer in 1963, just years after winning her tennis titles. And again, we talk about this in our tennis and golf episodes, but part of the reason she had to do that is because it was really hard for her as a woman and especially as a woman of color to make a living playing tennis. Mm hmm. Althea definitely does not get her grant and maybe hopefully like, moving forward she yeah. will start to be uh, discussed more when it comes to tennis and the impact that she has had on the history of mm-hmm. tennis. Some of the greatest tennis players that we are watching right now almost like all of them are people of color. Yeah. You yeah. know? And that I mean, with Naomi, somebody's got to break the barrier. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. Sloan Stevens, uh, yeah. Madison Keys. I mean, Coco Golf making yeah, her way. Coco, not there yet. Yeah, she's so young. Oh my God. <laughs> so scary. She's going to be dangerous. But um, yeah, I think it's the intersectionality of both being a woman and a person of color. History does not do women of color the service. Althea mm-hmm. kicking us off, a true superstar and somebody that we should all know. Mm hmm. A thousand percent. Anybody who's into, like, kind of like what Serena said, anybody who's into women and in sports mm-hmm. in general needs to know Althea Gibson. And all these ladies, really, exactly. honestly. So the next woman on our list is Alice Coachman. So she reached new heights at the 1948 London Olympic Games, literally and figuratively, when she became the first black woman to win an Olympic medal in high jump. Her winning jump clocked at five feet, six and an eighth inches. And King George <laughs> the sixth, I had to do some math because I don't know Roman numerals. <laughs> Roman numerals <laughs> off the top. Presented the medal to her. And then in 1952, she was signed by Coca-Cola, making her the first black woman athlete to endorse a consumer product, which is pretty dang cool. Then we have Wilma Rudolph. So Rudolph was diagnosed with double pneumonia, scarlet fever, and polio at age four. And doctors told her, or probably told her parents, she would never walk again. Her story's crazy. Yeah. So not only did she walk again, but she grew up to be an Olympic runner. And at the 1960 Olympics in Rome, she became the first American woman ever to take home three gold medals at a single Olympic Games. When the track and field star returned to her hometown of Clarksville, Tennessee, the city planned a parade for her, but it was segregated because we're still in the 60s. 60s. In the South. Mm -hmm. 60s in the South. So Rudolph refused to participate unless it was integrated. And the town listened. The most important aspect is to be yourself and to have confidence in yourself, Rudolph apparently told ESPN when asked to give advice to young athletes. I remind them the triumph can't be had without the struggle. And this this story is really cool too because she used her she she exercised the power that she deservedly has mm-hmm. to to get what she wants and exactly stay true to herself and and have confidence in herself. Yeah, probably one of the OG athlete activists. Yeah, using I her would platform say, for good. Yeah, yeah.
Moving right along, then we have Debbie Thomas. So Debbie Thomas challenged the norms of figure skating when she famously wore a black unitard at the Olympics, which the International Skating Union had banned. (laughs) Which is like Stupid. kind of crazy. I hate that. But from everything I've heard about figure skating, they are very Particular. conservative. Yeah, cons- yeah, conservative checks out. <laughs> it just seems that they care about the way things were and conservatism in a way that is kind of nuts. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. So in 1986, Debbie became the first black woman to win a U.S. figure skating championships title. And in 1988, she was the first black woman to take home a medal for the United States at the Winter Olympics. She often faced discrimination from judges and the media who characterize her as angry and overly competitive. That's something the media still does. They do that with Serena all the time, all the fucking time. I can't. I can't stand the double it. standards. Like incredible. That's I. Th- that's I think one of the toughest barriers women face is, you know, ambitious, competitive women are called angry, like too crazy. aggressive, crazy. Oh, that one Serena Nike ad. Yeah, where it's like, you know, if you are too emotional, they call you crazy. Oh, it gets me every time. Yeah, that is a really good ad. But so Debbie told the New York Times in 1998, if I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. It may be ugly getting there, but I'll do it. A lot of people think they want to do something, but when the going gets tough, they just don't have the will to stick with it. She's got the perseverance. Cause mm-hmm. especially because it's such like a lonely sport. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have a team. Yeah, who like don't have a team or like can't really make that bond with anybody else. Like these people yeah. are all alone and kind of like defending themselves and they shouldn't be, yeah. but they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then we have Cheryl Swoops. We've talked about Cheryl mm-hmm. in our basketball episode because she is a basketball phenom. So when the WNBA was first founded in 1996, she was the first player to be signed. She played for the Houston Comets and received three MVPs from the WNBA and won the WNBA champs four times. She also took home three gold medals at the Olympics in 96, 2000, and 2004. She was affectionately nicknamed the Michael Jordan of the WNBA, and she was also the first woman to have a shoe named after her, which, again, we talked about in our basketball episode. And it's a good-looking shoe. I'm not even going to lie. I mean, the accomplishments that she had at the baby steps of the WNBA to come Mm -hmm. out the gate and and dominate the way that she did compared to her competition, I mean, it just kind of shows how athletic and how natural she probably... I would love to watch it live, like the natural... I know. Just confidence that like reeks from people who who are so great at what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of people so great at what they do, (laughs) Layla Ali. So she's the daughter of boxing legend Muhammad Ali. And Layla grew up with some big gloves (laughs) to fill. She apparently told the New York Times in 1999 that he's naturally going to see himself in me. But for the first time, I think he can actually see that this is my child when she began boxing. So at 23 years old, she became the first woman to headline a pay-per-view boxing event when she faced another boxing legacy, Jackie Frazier-Lyde. I'm sure I did not pronounce that correctly. So Layla retired in 2007 with a 24-0 record and has been working as a television personality ever since. I think somebody was challenging her to come out of retirement recently, but I I can't quite remember, so... 
She's probably like, well, I guess she's like Floyd Mayweather's age. She could probably do it. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, Google. I mean, maybe she could. Like, some people are just so, you know, I don't know. They're just so mainless. Again, Serena is like the first example that comes to mind. But uh, Roger, you know, they they can do it at like mm-hmm. such an old age, compete at a high level. Yeah. And maybe oh. she just, you know. You know what? who it is? It was Clarissa Shields, who I love. Clarissa Shields is like a young boxer slash MMA fighter. Mm, okay, um, okay. A young black woman. She's so funny. I'm a big fan of Clarissa Shields. And she said? Did she, was it like she, serious or like no? I don't think so. Okay. She says that she wants like That'd Layla so Ali cool. to challenge her and that she's all bark and no bite. That's like, funny. Yeah, so she's just like poking it in a playful way. I like that. I think she, I think Clarissa Shields though might be like 15. Oh, she's 25. Oh, never kidding. mind. Wow, you're 10 years <laughs> off. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, Clarissa. That's all good. So then the next or the final lady on my list of women is Flojo, Florence Griffin Joyner. This is another person who I did not know until... Serena not only tweeted about her, but at the Australian Open this past couple weeks, Serena was wearing a custom cat suit in the style of Flojo. With the long one long leg, one short leg, and then I think it's uh, long sleeves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Flojo made her mark in the realm of track and field, specifically during the Olympics from 1984 to 1996. She is the fastest woman of all time. She set world records in 1988 for both the 100 meter and the 200 meter. And they still stand today, 30 years later. And aside from her running success, she was well known for wearing really stylish track suits and having long bomb ass fingernails i looked her up i highly suggest you do she kind of like serena is always pushing the boundaries with what she wears when she was running and her fingernails were like i think for one olympic she had them painted red white and blue with all sorts of stars i like that i like like the sticking true to yourself and knowing what you like and like having accessories or whatever you can mm-hmm. control reflect who you actually are and not just like whatever's going to make you the most money. It's like you're kind of staying and you're putting your own flair on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, li- I like that sort of personality. It's unique. Also, like, yeah, not taking yourself so seriously, you know, still having fun in your sport. Yeah, the ability to have fun. Yeah. Well, now we're going to take a sad turn because she unfortunately passed away in her sleep in 1998 when she was 38. And it was due to a severe epileptic seizure. And she had some condition that made her subject to seizures. And so it's a really sad story. She had retired from running at that time. You know, just a bright light who left this world a little too soon. Yeah. And I couldn't say it any better myself. It's just a shame. You know, it's a shame when someone mm-hmm. who's got like such a great personality, you know, is really making an mm-hmm. impact on the world uh, goes too soon. Yeah. The other thing I'll say about Flojo is that she is often not spoken about and discounted because when she made her world record runs, there was a lot of talk about whether she was abusing 
performance enhancement drugs, probably as we see with, I think we've seen it most recently with Castor Semenya, mm-hmm. the oh, uh, yes, yeah. runner. Yes, the runner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, where she's too good. And so they think that she is like abusing something because it's just like she's that good yep. at it. Yeah. But all of her tests came back negative. There's no proof of it's it. It's not like the tests were bad because there was somebody else, some other runner at the time. I don't remember who, but he tested positive for performance enhancing drugs. So it's not as though they were bad tests. And I believe in like some of the races after she got the world record was coming like close enough that it was, you know, wasn't just a fluke or an error. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it was Mm -hmm. because she could repeat the performance in the same setting. But I think it's sad that that is something that people like taints it, tainted her legacy unduly so miracles exist in people every day yes exactly nobody's accusing tom brady of anything like this i know yeah they, yeah <laughs> sometimes yeah. <laughs> it's just like god damn okay so yeah. I want to start off and give credit and just kind of make everybody aware of an amazing, like one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I have a Twitter. I am dark on it. Like I don't really tweet, you know, I have maybe six followers who are like pretty much random folks, you know, a couple people I know, a couple <laughs> people I don't know. And then um, I follow like a hundred accounts and this one has been kind of recent and it's one of my favorite. It's called the black Sportswoman. You can search it on Twitter. They just kind of give like fill in the, I think it's a one woman show. Her name's Bria and she just kind of fills in, fills in that gap and does amazing research and, and articles and interviews about black athletes, both historical and present. So it's cool to see a different perspective, not like an ESPN or a bleacher report, you know, right. It's, it's that perspective, but also coming from a person of color themselves. So I love it. So a couple of these people were featured on that account and I want to like dig a little bit deeper myself and, and, get to know them. So my first uh, woman that I want to talk about is Diane Durham. So Diane paved the path for black gymnasts in the 80s. Her parents signed her and her sister up for gymnastics when they were three because they had so much energy and they needed to, (laughs) quote, stop wrecking the house. And Diane was just a natural. She began training under the sort of infamous Crowley husband and wife duo from Mm -hmm. Romania in 1981 after winning the junior elite all-around title, which she then went and defended the next year. In 1983, she became the first black gymnast to win the senior all-around title at the U.S. National Championships, where she also won. I mean, it's just like she it keeps on going with all she won. She won the individual titles in bars, floor, and vault. So four, you know, all around plus three of the, I think, four events, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So later that year, she beat out Mary Lou Retton um, for the first all-around title at the McDonald's International Gymnastics Championship. And she was, um, just for, like, context, Mary Lou Retton is the first American to ever win all-around gold medal at uh, the Olympics. She did in 1984. But sadly, kind of a, a real tragedy, a string of injuries and some administrative garbage from the um, U.S. Olympic Committee mm. or USA Gymnastics, one of the two, prevented her from competing at the 1984 Olympic Games. So basically, in short, like she got injured 
and couldn't compete or finish an event. It mm-hmm. was like an international gymnastics event. I don't want to butcher if I don't know. And then so when she wanted to, she was going to make the team. She finished six and they take seven to the Olympics. And they, the Crowleys even fight, fought for her to go. But the U.S. gymnastics, you know, or Olympic committee said that mm-hmm. she can't go because she didn't complete that one event. So it was just kind of like, bullish. Oh. like, you know, you can't make an exception to yeah. your own rule. Yeah, come on. When it's clearly like she deserves to go. So she ended up retiring from competition in 1985, but it's not all lost. She began coaching gymnastics herself. So she kind of was able to to use the incredible gift that she have and then has and then or was able to pass it on to the f- future generation and create a space for black gymnastics, black gymnasts in America female gymnast and there's this really cool video i'm gonna butcher put the, it on the site. pronunciation but yeah i want to clean on the site first name i think is then she cut together it's like six minutes long of black elite gymnasts from you know diane durham all the way up to simone biles gets like cuts from just before their routines began on each sort of event like each four of the events and it's mm-hmm. kind of like the look of Lori hernandez is in it gabby douglas is in it diane durham's in it it's it's a really cool kind of like artistic thing that I found. So we'll put that on the oh, website. I, like that. I know it's really cool. It's six minutes, you know, it's kind of long, but it's worth a watch. The next woman I want to talk about is Crystal Dunn. So she is kind of like a present star. She's a current mm-hmm. U.S. Women's National Team uh, soccer star. And she plays or she just got traded to the Portland Thorns club team for NWSL. So she hasn't played for them yet. But she is a Portland Thorn, so that will be, I think, her and Becky were both traded there mm-hmm. in the past trading season. So that'll be a fun team to watch. So she is a complete star on and off the pitch, absolutely dynamic soccer player. She plays both defense and forward. She plays forward for club a lot of times, but defense with the U.S. Women's National Team, which is just impressive. And she's definitely yeah. kind of like the workhorse of the team, kind of like the engine. Mm-hmm. And But besides that, she's just a leader and advocating for systemic change um, across this nation, up and down, all around, uh, which is definitely needed. In a recent interview by the Black Sportswoman, she said that she wants 2021 to be the year of Black women in soccer. And she wants to advocate for others, but arguably more importantly, herself, which I think is really important for for people who want to pave the ways mm-hmm. and not lose themselves and stay true to themselves and find out who they are as well. So I like that kind of like self yeah. motivation, self care part of it. And one quote that mm-hmm. I feel like speaks volumes is this quote, this year, I really hope that I can feel and live my most authentic self because I think for a long time I was just happy fitting in End quote, which I feel like is just important. It's like a step in the right direction. I'm so excited where like as this confidence kind of grows in her, where she's going to take it and what she's going to set her mind to, because I think that she can really shape and change the world. So I would personally keep an eye on moving or moving on, you know, for like any interviews or conversations that Crystal has moving forward, because she's going to be a leader Mm -hmm. and and create that monumental positive change. And I I really hope U.S. soccer is really bad at kind of like the whitewashing that I was referring right. to, I really hope that they can make her and like, it starts from the bottom up, you know, like even just those little placards or graphics that they put out, 
including more of the people of color on the team. It's very simple because yeah, so yeah. many of the new and up and coming players and even established players like Chris Dunn and Lynn Williams are so good, but they, I feel like there's never featured. Yeah. So Crystal yeah. and I'm going to link, I want to link that black sportswoman yes. interview too for Crystal Dunn. Yeah. Throw it all on the site. On the site. Let's go. Turn me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, next I want to talk about Vanetta Flowers. So she was born in Alabama. She, this is just funny. I mean, she ended up becoming the first black woman to win a gold medal at the winter olympics in bobsledding i mean that is like incredible from (laughs) alabama like i didn't even know that there were really even hills in alabama you know like how did her story is so cool Mm -hmm. so she was a standout star on the university of alabama birmingham track team as a sprinter and a long jumper and at first she had summer olympic aspirations in that track and field area but they kind of faded due to injury and this like (laughs) this like kind of funny sweet door into bobsledding opened up and she (laughs) found success in it almost immediately as the break woman so like the person in the back it's like a little two tandem thing and she's the person Mm -hmm. in the back in 20 uh, or in 2002 her and her partner jill Backen won the gold medal so she was the first black woman ever win a medal at the winter olympics so cool a gold medal dang so the backstory that i was talking about like how that door opened is super funny and i would recommend reading like her perspective on her personal website so in short, her husband Johnny like found a flyer that encouraged track athletes to try out for the U.S. bobsled team and joked with her enough to convince her to accompany him to try out. <laughs> well, he ended up pulling his hamstring. So she just like oh, no. completed the rest of the tasks for him and did so well that they were like you're on like you're going to be on the it was the inaugural event in 2002 for women's bobsledding so they won like the first gold medal for the event as well which is really cool yeah and it's just so funny johnny you know who would have thought that like a simple flyer and (laughs) him just seeing what else is out there because he was also a track star Mm -hmm. you know lead to that And then last but not least, I wanted to highlight one more kind of young and rising star. Her name's Simone Manuel. So, oh. I, I mean, since 2016, she's like, I don't know. I just haven't been keeping up with it. I mm-hmm. was really excited for the 2020 Olympic Games. But, you know, yeah. hopefully, fingers crossed this summer that we can see her and, you know, so many other athletes compete. Mm-hmm. At, I know that I hope that they want to, but I know that they want to do it safely as well. So I totally get yeah. it both sides of that but at the 2016 rio game simone became the first black woman to win a gold medal in the 100 meter freestyle and then in total she won two gold and two silver medals at the olympics she also had a prestigious career at stanford in swimming and diving she turned pro in 2018 so she for you know for went her final year at stanford but one quote for that i really like is this quote i would like there to be a day where there are more of us and it's not simone the black swimmer because the title black swimmer makes it seem like i'm not supposed to be able to win a gold medal or mm-hmm. i'm not supposed to be able to break records and this is what she told the new york times in 2016 she said quote that's not true because i work just as hard as everybody else and i love the sport and i want to win just like everybody else uh, end quote. And I think it's just something that, that we're all kind of waiting for, like the end of the qualifiers when it comes to somebody mm-hmm. just accomplishing something amazing. I mean, she's got like three world records. Yep. However many medals from the Olympics. Like it's just, it's impressive. And I think, I don't even think that she was the first black woman to win gold in the 100 meter freestyle. I think she was the first black woman to win a gold medal in swimming. In swimming? Oh my God. I didn't yeah. know that. 
I'm pretty sure. Let me just double check that. That w- I think so too. I didn't want to say that and like not that be true, but like I had that feeling that yeah, she's the first. Oh my god, black woman to win a gold medal in an individual swimming okay, event. So like not like the uh, f- they do like those mm-hmm. four by stuff. That totally makes sense. Yeah, the relays. Yeah, it's funny that you brought this up because she, like, as a swimmer, I am a huge Simone Manuel fan. And actually, like, her winning, like, 100-meter freestyle is so fast that the the competition is often all within, like, a half of a second of each other. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. You there's rarely a true leader. And I think she actually tied for gold. Yeah, it's, like, a really emotional. It's one of those things where they had to, like, slow down and do the bang bang. <laughs> Yeah, I would suggest I'll put it on the website just because because it's such a packed field. You, I think you have no idea where you you have no idea where you stack up against because you don't mm-hmm. even have like time to look because there is just not that much time in the event. Right. And so the look on her face when she like turns yeah. and sees the scoreboard and that she won is something it's so pure. Of just oh, it's pure. It brings tears to my eyes. I'm just like, wow, wow, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, Simone Manuel, man. I love it. I love moments like that in sports. It's something that everybody can relate to on some like primal mm-hmm. level or something. I don't know. No, a hundred percent. Because everybody has a time where you've like really accomplished like, something done well. Yeah. And you're surprised at yourself. And that's what that is. But it's like times a million <laughs> because she's like an athlete. Man. I miss I'm like gonna sit here and cry because I'm like, damn, I miss that feeling. I know. As a, like a swimmer, oh man. Oh yeah, that's hard. Because yeah, that's the interesting thing about swimming, and I'm sure track too. Like obviously, when you're playing tennis, you're always aware of the how score. the other person. Yeah, you should be. And how the Sometimes other I doing. forget, but you should be. <laughs> you can swim, and you can have literally Zero no idea. idea where you stack up against the competition or, or what your time will yeah. be. Yeah. So like, you could break records and not know. Whereas I think most other sports during you it, know. aside from yep. track. You know what's going on. Gymnastics yeah. too, I guess, too. If, you know, perfect tens or whatever. Right. It's just like you right. don't know until the judges. Yeah, gymnastics too. Yeah. I guess any judged sport Judge too. Like gymnastics yeah. Or like I think the different winter sports, snow sports. Yeah, yeah. same you thing. You hit the half pipe, stuff like that. As Julia said, definitely not inclusive list. There are so many incredible black female athletes. These are just a few that we thought – especially don't get enough recognition and we're trailblazers in their various sports. And so we wanted to celebrate them a little, call attention to some of their accomplishments. And I think moving forward to, I just, I know for myself personally, I gotta be better. I don't know, just looking up and making sure that everybody's being included in in the history and getting their due credit when, when we write these things, because it's important. And yeah. 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 And it's not a 28 day, it's not a 28 day thing. It's something that no, you know, it's all a year. It needs to be a yearly thing. It's not yeah. just for the month of February. It's important to have it all the time, you know, year round. And similar to the Black Sportswoman Twitter that Julia brought up, another great site that does a good job of covering athletes of color is the Undefeated. So it, I'd say it's kind of similar, similar to Bleacher Report or The Ringer, where there's also stories about culture, but it's mainly exploring the intersections of race, sports, and culture. So if you go to the Undefeated homepage, it's highlighting lots of Black athletes. And mm-hmm. and so that's another great site to go to to make sure you're getting getting the full coverage. Yeah, I just think too, like it's important to get from like sources that who are also like people of color. Exactly. Exactly. Well, happy Black History Month. And the celebration, and we gotta keep on doing gotta it. Keep gotta celebrating. keep celebrating, gotta keep working. And I guess uh, that wraps up this special episode. 
keep on the lookout for more stuff in the pipeline. Instagram. Who knows what we have next? Yeah. Yeah, Follow us on Instagram. From the History of the Sports Bra team, we want to wish you a good night. And play hard. (laughs) I love that. So cheesy. It'll never not be funny. Thanks for listening. Check out our website, historyofthesportsbra.com, for episode extras and more content on the wonderful world of women's sports.